Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 111, recorded January 16th, 2013. So this is our 50th 90s episode. So we're doing... That's a high number. Next Gen, Volume 2, numbers 58, 59, and 60. Cool. So yeah, I was thinking that this series only went up to 72, but I just looked and it goes up to 80. So we still have... Almost two years worth of issues to cover. So. Cool. Even though we are coming towards the end of the broadcast series. Right. When these when these three period. issues came out, we were treated with the uh, two-parter, all good things, and which finished up Next Gen's TV run. Yeah. Which was a really good episode. Yeah, it was a nice bookmark to uh, where no man has gone before. Yeah. So. Um, when I but, say but, bookmark, I mean bookend. Yeah, I knew what you meant. But <laughs> it is kind of sad that we're, you know, in the final episodes of one of the greatest TV series ever. That's Bar true. none! It is true. But it continues in the comic book, and then um, we get treated to movies every three years or so. Exactly. And, and I really like the next-gen movies, too. Although some weren't absolute gold, I did like them. Were I... the successors to the Taz movies. For the most part, I agree with you. Um, I I don't like how they had to make the TV show accessible to everyone, or at least I they 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 in order to make the movies accessible to anybody watching it, they alienated the fans. That's what I feel. Well, in which in in which movie? I mean, well, not generations. Uh, generations had a little bit of it with the emotion chip and things like that. What? Which they did acknowledge in the book, in the movies earlier. I mean, the TV show earlier. So it's not completely out of left field, but well, not at all. It and did plus change they, up his character quite a bit. Well, yeah. But I mean, they had holodecks. They had heavy holodeck usage. So at the beginning of the movie, it's like, hey, what's going on here? It's like, oh, they're on big ship. And if you don't know about holodecks, you're like sitting there going, what the heck kind of garbage <laughs> is this? It's like, I don't know. What, no, um, it's, it, it's more the later ones with uh, like Nemesis, where that I'm thinking, well, where they well, have they, before yeah. and Wesley's in Starfleet, even though he's really off with the Traveler. And, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, they were trying to do something new with the series with some new production people, including a brand new director. That, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're trying to see if they could keep the uh, the series viable in in the movies. And they were unsuccessful. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, I, I still went and saw it multiple times. So even though oh, I'm, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. about did not stop me from going. Yeah, and, and even, enjoying myself. Yeah, and even though some people malign Insurrection, I I enjoyed it. I think out of all of them, that's still my least favorite of the next gen movies. You're probably right. Probably, yeah, I don't know. Nemesis wasn't that good either. Oh well. 
Yeah, but I still put I put uh, I mean just to put it in context of the overall Star Trek movies, I would put Insurrection eh, close to Star Trek Five. Yeah, <laughs> which is not yeah, yeah well a yeah. favorable comparison. No, not at all, not at all. I would clearly say that Five was the worst Star Trek movie ever. Although uh, I think Kuthrapali and uh, Sheldon had differences of opinion on that, that and the motion picture. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the motion picture was kind of boring, but I still I still liked it. I still enjoyed it. Anyway. It's a different kind of movie, but I, yeah. I do enjoy it still. Yep. Okay. Shall we get back to our comics? Yeah, comics. That's what we're here for, right? We are. Next Gen Comics. This one is titled Bodies of Evidence. Published date is April 1994. The writer is Michael Jan Friedman. The artist is Daryl Skelton. Colorist is Rick Taylor. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Editor is Margaret Clark. The cover shows Worf laid out on a table, either unconscious or dead. He is surrounded by six armed ghostly aliens. Lettering at the bottom says, Body of Evidence? Picard's log reminds us of the situation. Troy, Worf, and Dr. Salar's bodies have been stolen and are hosting an alien species consciousness somewhere on Eregis, planet Eregis. Ship sensors cannot locate them due to electromagnetic shields that surround multiple religious sites where the captured crewmen are believed to be. Meanwhile, their evicted consciousnesses have been forced to double up in Alexander, Geordi, and Luxana Troy's bodies. From Alexander's body, Counselor Troy has been able to make contact with her body, giving her the approximate location of her body she believes. So far, they have not been able to prove her intuition is correct as to the location. Luxana and Dr. Salar, who is in Geordi's body, are concentrating in an attempt to make the same connection. Alexander, Luxana, and Geordi report to the bridge with news that they think they have located all the missing bodies. Their plan is to beam down outside of these locations that they think their bodies are in. Then, with a support team made up of at least a doctor and an engineer, they go inside to recover the bodies. As a backup to the current plan, Picard asks Barkley to see if he can analyze traces of the transporter beam that transported Geordi, Luxana, and Alexander from where they were being held to the Enterprise. That location would give them a next step if the current plan fails. Riker, Alexander slash Deanna, and a female engineer are the first team to beam down outside of a religious temple in a very frigid locale. They make it across a partially frozen river that surrounds the building. They make it inside and find Deanna's unconscious body. They're able to disable the EM field generator and are about to transport back to the ship. One down. The second team is made up of Geordi slash Dr. Salar, Desora, and Ogawa. They transport to a hostile windswept desert environment on Eurigis. Visibility is almost nil, but they are able to finally find the large holy building. They gain entry and find no one about. They find Dr. Salar's unconscious body rather quickly and are able to disable the EM generator and transport back to the ship. Two down. 
The third team, made up of Luxana Troy, Dr. Crusher, and Ensign Rowe, are fighting their way through a jungle, where some of the plants are actually attacking them. Rowe has a vine wrapped around her lower leg, so she shoots the base of the plant with her phaser. They try to keep moving towards the building. Luxana senses that it contains Worf's body. They finally find the building and go inside. No one is in this building either, and they are able to quickly find Worf's unconscious body. They bring down the EM field and all beam back to the Enterprise. Picard contacts the Sakarianites, who in the last issue offered to use the technology they have to put everyone's consciousness back into the correct bodies. However, before he can speak to the Sakarianites, Engineer Barkley enters the bridge and tells the captain he should not speak to them until after he hears what Barkley has to say. Barkley says they have been barking up the wrong tree. Later, at Eurigis, a group of two Sakarianites and two Eurigians are breaking their way into the same ancient holy building that Team 3 recovered Worf's body from hours earlier. While they are doing this, the lead Sakarianite is recapping their deceitful plan to trick Picard and the Federation into thinking the Eurigians did the kidnapping and mind transfers. In actuality, it was the Sakarianites who did it. They recapped the details of their complex plan in which they were able to completely pull the wool over the Federation's eyes, fabricating the story of an Eurigian triumvirate, enlisting the aid of some Eurigian mercenaries, kidnapping just the right Federation personnel with psychic abilities, performing the consciousness switch with Eurigian tech, and more. As they enter a room in the Holy City, they are surprised to find Worf's apparently unconscious body lying on a slab. They say their instruments had tracked Team 3's approach and entry. Then the transporter beam a short time later. How could this be? The lead Securianite says if their deceit has been discovered, the Federation may yet allow Eurigis into the Federation. If that happens, they may also discover how the Securianites have been profiteering by selling food and medicine to the Eurigians. The demand for their goods, being fanned by the Eurigian climate changes, artificially induced by the Sakirianites. Rather than continuing to recap the plan for the studio audience, the other Sakirianite tells the first one they need to figure out how to get out of this mess. Suddenly a voice says, it's too late for that. The voice belongs to Worf, who has been awake the whole time piping their handy confession to Picard via his comm badge that was active the whole time. Naturally, the Securianites are pissed, so they, are, they get out their guns and they get ready to kill Worf, though obviously that will clearly not help the situation. Just at that moment, Riker and a security detail enter and stun all four of the conspirators into unconsciousness. Later, back on the Enterprise, the Eurigian ruling triumvirate is thanking Picard and his senior staff for discovering the Securianite deceit and informing them. Exposing the Securianite plan has kept intact the Eurigian bid to become part of the Federation. Picard thanks them for using their technology to put the kidnapped consciousnesses back into the proper bodies. 
That allowed Worf to be present for the handy confession. Picard goes on to say that the Securionites' current membership to the Federation will be difficult to maintain considering their crimes. The Eurigians ask Picard how they detected the deceit. Barclay is given the floor. He explains how the decay rate of the angular confinement beam of the transporter used to transport Troy and the others from the supposed Eurigian installation, blah, 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 blah. He figured it out, okay? With all explained, the narrative shifts to 10 forward, where five of the six folks involved in the body switching are chatting at a table. Jordy and Dr. Salar discuss their shared experience, mostly involving kudos to Vulcans for having such orderly minds and thumbs down to humans with their chaotic minds. The more interesting discussion is between Laksana and Worf. Worf says he found the experience debasing. Laksana says she found it fascinating. She experienced Worf's gentler side and was touched to her very soul with that side's poetry and passion. Worf makes a comical and obviously false excuse for he and Alexander to leave immediately. The end. Yep. So, yes. So, what you like this one? Uh, it was okay. But it had definite problems. I, I'm not going to say it's great. No, mm. not at all. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's still really confusing as to the, I mean, and you were having a hard time with, with the people's names, you know, is this really Alexander slash Troy or is it just yeah. Troy now in Alexander's body? Because I don't think Alexander says one word in the whole comic. No. Even I, when it's his body, he never takes control over it anymore. No. It's like he's completely in the back seat. Uh, whereas with uh, Jordy and Salar, uh, they do trade off, although Salar's around an awful lot. No, I don't uh, think they ever. I, I was going to say I never saw him trade off in this one. Well, okay, maybe not in this one. But right. in the previous one, yes. Yeah, in the previous one, it was they couldn't control it. It would just come yeah. and go. Right. And then now, I guess they can control it and. Whoever doesn't have psychic abilities, they're in yep. the back seat and exactly. they don't ever get to control their own bodies. Yeah. Well, yeah, including Worf. Right. Right. So it's all Luxana who uh, who's running the show. Which I thought was was weird. Well, you know, it, this was a this was a confusing enough issue as it was that it's like maybe it was simpler just to not be switching back and forth. <laughs> I don't know because there was plenty about this. That was, um, I mean, it wasn't that you couldn't follow it. It's just like, this is kind of convoluted, you know. I'm not sure I want to work this hard to <laughs> to keep up with this. Right. And then and then when Barkley does the techno babble explanation towards the end, uh, of which Next Gen is known for its techno babble sure. to explain things, um, it was pretty it was pretty techno babbly. Although I must say there have been worse. Examples, but it was pretty techno babbly, and I had to go back again to look even at the first comic book or the, the middle comic book that we read weeks ago mm -hmm. uh, and recorded, just to remind myself of exactly which beaming he was investigating. So I got all that straight. It's like okay, fine, fine, fine. 
Uh, and those of you that only have to go by the uh, synopsis that I gave, I feel sorry for you because I'm sure I did not cover it properly <laughs> or not or not in enough detail to keep everything crystal clear for somebody that had not read the comic book. Right. Um, it was pretty techno babbly. It was, and you went into uh, a little more detail than I would have. <laughs> well, I did, but it was like, oh my god, no, I'm not going to do all this. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, but yeah, so, so the only thing he really proved is that they transported from a location that was not on a planet. Right. So they transported from uh, a ship, or more likely a moon. And it's like, well, okay, but does that automatically mean that the Eurigians were not guilty? I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't but, know, unless he found that they were the ones on the, the base on the moon or whatever. I don't know. So who was on a base on a moon? Uh, I thought that's where they were beaming from. Well, well, they said it couldn't be on... I don't remember him... Act, they, they used a, a moon base as an example, but I oh, don't okay. know that he actually said. Um, okay. Yeah, so so he said it traveled... It, it did not travel through air for any distance. I think that's basically what they were saying. Because right. of the decay rate or something. Right. Like, wow, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Um... And I never got all that 100% straight, quite frankly, anyway. I know the Securionites the are on one of the moons, are on a moon someplace, but I don't want to get into this. I mean, the main point yeah, is the, 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 the exact geography of where all this stuff is is just a little confusing to me. But. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I don't anyway, know what else to say. I just, yeah, I, I just thought it was just a little confusing. I, and 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 it's it's fine if you don't dumb things down for the audience, but it's like it's like don't make things overly convoluted. Right. I don't know. I'm with you, man. So uh, that first away mission or the away team with Riker and Alexander. Who did you say yep. that third person was? Uh, it was. I don't know. I don't know what her name was. I didn't pick up what her name was. I just called her a, 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 an engi- a, a lady engineer. I think I called her. Right. Or was I she think... supposed to be security? I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think that's she... supposed to be Robin Leffler. Okay. Played by Ashley Judd in the TV show and, and girlfriend to and, Wesley. Uh, that's cool. But did they did they mention her name? They never did. Did they actually say which I Robin? Was weird. But okay. the reason why I think it's her is because okay. they, she says that she has rules, and she says that uh, uh, they're on page what is this three? Yeah. Oh, five. She's at the the top of page five in the second panel. She says, "Then nothing is ever as simple as you'd like it to be." That's rule number twenty-two, oh. and that was one of the traits Robin Leffler had is that she always had uh, Leffler's laws or whatever. Oh. Because for a second there, I thought she was like a Ferengi or something. Right, right, with the rules of acquisition. No, right. these, these are hers. <laughs> Called Leffler's Laws. Leffler's Laws, okay. Which which when I read that, I was like, oh, cool, it's Leffler. And, 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 oh, uh, she said Leffler's Laws? No. Okay. Well, that's what they say in the show. But when oh, she okay. said the, the rule, yeah, I that's thought, when, yeah, oh, this that's is going to be Leffler. And I kept waiting for them to say her name, but they never did. Which I thought was was odd because Beverly Crusher has brought her up a couple of times throughout the the series or throughout right. the comic book. Every once in a while, 
she'll say, you know, Wesley spends more time sending messages to his girlfriend, Robin, than she, he does me or something right. like that. So right. I thought, well, this is a cool bring her back for the show uh, into an sure. episode or issue. Yeah, but, now, and, what was she in that episode when she had the uh, the Wesley thing going? Uh, what was her job? What was her role? What was her job? Uh, I think she was a scientist. Scientist, okay. Now, supposedly these teams were supposed to have a doctor and an engineer. And indeed, well, I mean, they had Dr. Crusher going on one team. Right. Uh, Dr. Solar, I guess, was on another team, but she was one of the people involved. It's like, where's where's the engineer on this first team? I mean, Leffler's, Leffler's a scientist, maybe? Is that supposed to count as an engineer? Well, I think in her in oh. her episode, she maybe she was maybe she was a scientist. I don't know. She was a gold okay. shirt. She was a gold shirt. So oh, yeah, yeah. I guess that wouldn't make her a doctor. No, and it wouldn't make her a scientist either, right? Well, I think she was yeah an engineer or something like that. Some okay, with, maybe uh, she's an engineer. Now that 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 would fit one of the needs. Okay. Anyway, but, I still don't I still don't get that first team. Uh, you know how they made it up. I mean that's that's fine that that. Well, maybe Charlie's supposed but. to be the doctor. But she's not. She's not a doctor. She's not a medical doctor, is she? She's a counselor. She's a counselor. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm pretty sure he made up the rules, you know, <laughs> Captain Picard. But it's like, hey, wait a minute. Okay, whatever. All right, but in that same scene when uh, Troy slash Alexander falls into the water, right? Did you get a weird? pedophile type vibe when Riker picks up Alexander and says that uh, oh come here you'll need some extra insulation that I'll gladly provide <laughs> what <laughs> I know that it's Troy but and then and Alexander says thanks <laughs> and, and Riker's got the Joe Cool guy uh, sunglass goggle things on Right. It's just... And where I, is Alexander's right hand in that panel, anyway? Uh, <laughs> okay, we're stopping this right now, even though it is it is pretty funny. It was a little oogie, that's all I'm saying. Oogie. That's exactly what it is. Moving on. All right. And then my last comment on this, this whole issue is I'm not the biggest fan of the artwork sometimes. I completely agree with that. Like, a lot of the backgrounds just seem to be washed out one color type thing yeah so it's either that or the faces are washed out I mean th- there are some panels where the faces are fine they, they look fine but there's others that are just like I, you know again like a almost an Andy Warhol kind of artistic unnecessarily artistic kind of thing going on which right. I'm, I'm just personal preference not mine right same here. I mean, there's okay. There, there's one over the top one on page eleven that shows a close up of Jordy, and even the uh, the picture of the Enterprise right next to it. It's just like way over pixelated. It's just right. it's like what, 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 what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Variety's cool and stuff, but there's like some an interesting variety of styles here. Yeah, some it's like that that cartoon filter you can put on your phone a little bit. That Jordy picture. No, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is. What do you mean? Well, uh, uh, my camera on my phone has like yeah. a cartoon function where it'll take the picture and then kind of turn it into 
what it, what kind of looks like a cell shaded type oh. anime picture, and cool. it looks like that when you take pictures. Cool. That I I don't know that I've ever seen that. Oh, because you have an iPhone, you don't have a cool phone. I have a great iPhone that kicks butt over most everything. However, uh, every platform has its own little tricks. Sure, sure. Including the Android one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've never really, really seen that, and I really, I really feel I've missed out on it. Because if I can take a picture of somebody and make it look like that, ooh. I know, right? <laughs> so true. I know. You're so, so jealous. Oh, yes. Anyway. <laughs> what else so you it's, got? It's a good thing the Sakarianites were so chatty towards the end, wasn't it? Oh, I hated that. Oh, God. It's like, what, did these guys with you not know the plan? Because you're just going over it all over again in excruciating detail. Why? I sure hope nobody catches us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would if you keep talking about it. Yeah. yeah, no, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. My last comment: Are the Eurasians have they devolved? Are they are they a victim of de-evolution? Because here they are, an older species. I got a, a, the impression of high tech. They're able to transfer consciousnesses between bodies. It's like, wow, really? Yet. Apparently, they are unable to use sensors or any kind of technology to detect poison in their atmosphere, which is obviously detrimental to the entire population's health. Well, they just trusted that the other guys had their back. Well, what, what, what? Wait, hold on. Okay. No, I, the, don't, I mean, don't, don't ah, take any. God, ah, I was kidding. Okay. So the Securianites had their back. Is that is that what it is? Well, I mean, they were selling them all the the medicine and stuff, so of course. Well, but but wouldn't you want to try to find out wh- why everybody's sick? It, anyway, it just seemed kind of odd that a technologically advanced race that can do some of the things they can do can't also, for themselves, figure out a few things. Oh, don't think too much. Don't think too much on this one, Kane. <laughs> Thank you, Donovan. Good advice. You're not going to like where it takes you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. All right, then we'll jump into issue number 59, entitled Children of Chaos. came out May of 1994. All of the writing staff and artistry and editor is exactly the same, so I won't go over it. The um, cover is interesting. It has a headshot of Captain Picard. Yet he has a full head of brown hair. Is this a Mirror Universe episode in which Picard uses Rogaine? I don't know. Let's find out. Below him is a picture of a young lieutenant. Um, Don't know quite who it is yet. Both seem to be wearing Season 1 uniforms with the gold piping, not the normal red. To the side of these two pictures is a shot of the Stargazer. So it's not a Mirror Universe episode. It's just a flashback episode. And the bottom of the page shows another man in a red tunic spinning a rope over his head and facing off against a gorilla-sized alien. So the story starts off with Captain Slog, as so many of these stories do. We learn that the Stargazer is approaching the planet of the nasty Chalna. They're an alien race. Very nasty, as previously mentioned. So Captain Picard finds it odd that 
they, being the Stargazer, is being assigned a diplomatic mission after all these years of pure exploration. But he thinks that it'll be good for his crew. So a nice little experience to pad some some of these uh, crew members' resumes. As the ship gets closer, the Chalnoth leader named Antok contacts them. The Chalnoths are large aliens, maybe about the size, maybe a big little little bit bigger than Klingons normally, and they look very much like the Nossians, which is uh, the race that uh, stabbed old Picard in the back. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. The leader gives them permission to beam down, but he tells them that it'll be futile because they make up their own minds. Picard, his first officer, Zoma, and Jack Crusher beam down, and they address the leader in a grand chamber with hundreds of onlookers, almost like an auditorium of sorts. Picard is asking for permission to leave a colony on a planet that happens to be within Chalnoth's space for a little bit longer while they monitor a space storm. Picard offers to share any and all data that the colony collects. Antok's main advisor, named Pathox, tells him that this is just a ploy and that the Federation is making a move to invade Chalnoth's space. The aide talks Antok into allowing Picard to fight for it in a trial by combat. It's a one-on-one match, and if Picard wins, then that means that the colony was there just for scientific reasons and will be allowed to stay. If Picard loses, then that means that they're there to start an invasion, and the Chalnoth will do everything they can to defeat the invading Federation. So this is faulty logic to be sure. Picard agrees with the fight. As the arrangements for the fight are being made, Picard talks in private to his officers. They think he's crazy for going with it, and they mention that the size of the Chalnoth compared to him is like David and Goliath. And this gives Picard an idea. Later, everyone has gathered for the fight. As is the custom, Picard is allowed to pick the weapon. He chooses a sling. Get it, David and Goliath? And the Chalnoth warrior laughs at this. He does not think that it's a true warrior weapon and throws his sling to the ground saying that he will not need it. The match starts. Picard misses with his first stone and he's able to dodge the first punch from the Chalnoth warrior and rolls away. Picard shoots another rock and misses again. But this time he's not able to dodge fast enough and he takes the blow to the chest and falls to the ground. The Chalnoth starts gloating and playing to the crowd in typical WWE fashion. As he's doing this, Picard readies another rock, and this time he strikes the warrior in the face, knocking him out cold. Antok and the others are shocked by this, but he's true to his word, and he allows Picard to leave and give the colony time to study the storm. We flash to the present, and Picard is heading back near Chalnoth aboard the Enterprise. They are going to investigate a missing starship. When they arrive to the planet, they find the Federation ship and a Chalnoth vessel in orbit and completely empty. Elsewhere on the ship, crew woman Takamura is playing patty cake with her daughter. The babysitter arrives and Takamura heads to the transporter room and takes with her a drawing her daughter gave her. On the bridge, Worf informs the captain that another craft has arrived, and it is a Chalnoth battlecruiser. 
The alien captain contacts the Enterprise, and it's none other than Pathox, the former advisor of Antok from earlier. He tells them that he will not help them find the Federation crew, and he will not give any details about his own missing crew. He then hangs up on Picard in mid-sentence. Picard orders Worf to track the new ship. Picard orders Worf to scan the other ship and notify him if anybody beams off the ship. Immediately, Worf tells him that a landing party has beamed to the surface. Picard then orders Riker to take a team to the same area and investigate. Along with Riker, there will be Crusher, Takamura, Jordy, Troy, and Data. To be continued. Uh-huh. Very good. So, you like this one? You love it? Well, I definitely like the Stargazer part. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it is, because there you are seeing <laughs> Picard and his reckless, relatively young captaincy, and his crew, and how they work together, and very interestingly, Jack Crusher, to see him as a real person, not just as uh, somebody who's talked about, or maybe pops up in a video during an episode. Right. So, I like that part. So, this is obviously supposed to happen before Jet Crusher dies, right? <laughs> Are you seriously asking that? Yes, yes. You're asking that. <laughs> Unless he's a ghost, yes, this is before he dies. Right, and, and the reason why I ask is because they're all wearing season one uniforms. Yes, interesting. The last message that Beverly ever got from Jack showed him in what Taz movie kind of it was a variant of the Wrath of Khan type right right have like the turtleneck and maybe it was thinner material yep so I found that weird that uh, they're wearing uniforms closer to the next generation starting point yet it's supposed to be many years ago back when when he died right well uh, so, w- w- did they actually say this was supposed to be 16 years ago? Uh, did they say 16 years ago? Well, maybe it's the... Yeah, it's when they first meet each other uh, over the view screen. Didn't they say 16 years? I think they did. Huh. Well, well, maybe not, but... I missed that. Yes. Ah, there it is. How many years has it been, Picard? 16 years. At Antalk? Yeah, so it's 16 years. There you go. So this is supposed to be 16 years as of that moment, which would be right. way before he dies, which he should they should not be in those uniforms. Just that's my nickname. No, oh, I that's fine. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And all the Stargazer novels, right? Just going off the cover of the Star the Stargazer novels, he's always wearing a, a that Taz variant movie movie uniform variant. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, that uniform would have stuck around a while. Yeah. Ooh, a good long time. Yeah. Because the Enterprise C was definitely wearing it, and then... Well, the... it, was a, it was a good look. Yeah. It was a good look. Why keep? Why not keep it around? Yeah. Unlike every other look that goes out of style <laughs> fairly quickly. Yeah. Well, I was fine with them moving on from the pajama look of the first couple seasons. Uh, the, the, one. The, the unitard uniforms. With the piping? 
Yeah. Well, the piping I didn't mind that much, but the unitard kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, call me old-fashioned, but I just like pants and a tunic. That sounds good to me. And you want your pants to have that slit up the, the front of up it? Up the front of it? Doesn't have to be, but hey, why not go for the style? So I thought Jack Crusher looked a little bit like Val Kilmer on page five. Just a little bit. Val I was Kilmer. getting a Val Kilmer vibe on page five. Let's see. Let me see Batman. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of him as that of him as that, but yes. So the bottom right hand, the last panel. Yeah, I see it. Page no, five. It, it, I can see what you, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's a dead ringer. I'm just saying I get a little Val Kilmer vibe. The way they drew him. All right. Yeah, looks like looks like he did in uh, Batman Forever actually, with the hair and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it all comes back to Batman, doesn't it? As it should. Uh, or Superman, but in this case, Batman. <laughs> Val Kilmer never played Superman. Uh, oh, okay, fine. You know, when I first saw the Shalnoff, who are pretty tall, nasty-looking guys, I was thinking, wait a minute, didn't that guy look a lot like the uh, the big nasty guy that put the knife through Picard's heart, you know, right. when he was still the in Nos- Starfleet Academy? Yeah, and the it's like, Well, yeah, oh, so Nausicans. But I didn't remember their names or the fact that they do look a little different, but they are also quite similar. Big, nasty, heavy, hairy, teeth coming out, nasty-looking teeth coming out, but they have dark hair. Well, there are differences. You don't think there could be more than one hair color for a whole species of people? There's more to it than that. There's skin... Well, okay. There's skin I'm color... Kidding. I'm kidding. And even how... the because I went back and looked at Tapestry, you know, the, the next-gen episode mm-hmm. that had the Noskins do it, and their, their skin was weird, and it was not the same as the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the these guys. The Noskins have that fold or something underneath their mouth, too, where they kind of have not quite a predator-type mandible right. thing, but, something, but, but a little yeah. bit like that, which right. these guys don't. Right, right. And at first I thought these guys were unique to the comic book, but then uh, I looked it up, and they were actually in one episode of The Next Gen, like season three. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could have been even the same wig that they put on both of them, you know, how they <laughs> reuse makeup. Exactly. Why not? Right. Waste not, want not. But no, I totally agree with you that, that they looked very similar. Yeah. Uh, I never could get used to seeing Picard with hair. Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't get used to it. Yeah, it did look weird because his face is exactly the same. Even almost looks old, you know. Right. I, I, I think some shots he looks younger, but then some shots he looks the same. And looks <laughs> nothing like Tom Hardy. <laughs> I'm just saying. Good point. And uh, there's a there's a particular panel on that subject on page six. Top panel, page six, you got Picard in the middle, and you got Crusher on the one side, and then you have, uh, what's his name, the uh, first officer guy. And it looks like somebody, Picard's head. Mm -hmm. Picard's head looks like they went ahead and cut it out of a different (laughs) magazine or something, and then they, they like, got a, I don't know, a comic book of bewitched or something and they cut Darren's <laughs> hair off and they kind of pasted it over Picard's cut out head that's what it looks like uh, it, it it does look a little large too 
So it, I, I it, get what you're saying. I, the face looks huge, and the head with the hair does not look like it's the right size. <laughs> Doesn't uh, it? Darren from Bewitched, where did you get that from? I don't know. I just It just looked like some, you know, very pedestrian kind of hair. Yeah. Ah, oh, well. I yeah, just thought no, I, I I get what you're saying. It's really funny. Okay. Now, I think you've read a Stargazer book or no? I have never read a Stargazer book. Uh, I'm digging this. Okay. Well, you should, because they're also written by Michael Jan Friedman. Cool. I, I have a couple of them. I've just never found the time to read them. Oh, but you've read one, at least, right? Or no? I don't think I've ever even read one. I uh-huh. have, but I've never read them. Well, I'm going to try to make well, that's, it. That's well, why I know no, 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 like no. No, you're... No, I actually... I actually have heard a Stargazer audiobook. Right. Yes, okay. I did. And th- this particular... Yeah, th- I mean, this... <clears throat> this particular story was how Picard became captain of the Stargazer. Because he was not captain in the beginning of this particular story. He was, like, first officer, I think. Okay. So did it... Did it talk about them getting attacked by... Uh, or no, they got hit by a plasma storm or something? Well, I think they were out at the edge of the galaxy, kind of like the original Enterprise, you know, in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Oh, okay. And so the same kind of thing, but the Stargazer was dealing with it, and they had a lot of casualties, and the captain was one of them. So old Picard had to step up, and he was not the most popular on the ship. Huh. No, I haven't, I haven't read that one. Uh, but but I have played the game Star Trek um, Legacy, and mm-hmm. in it, there's a couple of levels where you're playing as a stargazer. Yeah. And it's like right when they got hit by a plasma storm or something, and it doesn't really go into a detail as to what hit them, but right. in Picard's logs, he's taking over because of all the casualties. Yeah, that's it. And, and then they then the 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 episode or the the level of that game picks up right there with him trying to get back to a star base, but then they have to go out on this other adventure. So I was wondering if it fit the same continuity. That's, that sounds like that's the same story. Oh, cool. So. Now, the only uh, the only books I've actually read that have him in his Stargazer times is um, Death in Winter, which was a post-Nemesis book, but there was a lot of um, flashbacks. To uh, you know the time where Jack Crusher died and stuff like that, but mm. I don't remember it saying what their uniforms look like. Right, right. All right, what else you got on this one? Because we keep going on tangent, so we do. So um, I will say on page sixteen, Troy looks uh, as old as her mother because of the coloring. They, they basically she got gray hair or or spots of gray hair in and amongst her black hair. Right, I think that's just the shine. She just uses the I, conditioner. I, I, I'm sure that's what they wanted to get across. But look at that and tell me that's not gray hair. No, it should be blue. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way all black hair shining is supposed to be colored. Yeah, I know, and I don't get that. Uh, you know, de- de- definitely uh, Takamura. She's got blue hair. Yeah, and, yeah, and then obviously and then on 17, Troy does too. But you're right, on 16, it's white. Yeah. Or gray or something. Right, right. Yeah, very. Nope, I got gotcha. you. I, I, I don't think 
I don't think it's right. I just don't think it's right. And I think. Well, that's... you mentioned Takamura. Let's talk about her real quick. Okay. Uh, can you can you say filler? <laughs> okay, hold on. But it's, I I think it's gonna come in. It well. I, I do too. Okay. I, it's gonna We're, play in later. Y- you'll see it in the next one. Right. But but I I I agree with you that things went. So if you had to establish that she was a security officer, security, mind you, who's a concerned, loving mother. It's like okay, you got the point across. <laughs> yeah, it kind of threw me at first because at first I thought it was Keiko and Molly mm-hmm, until right. they actually say, or until you notice that she's in a Starfleet uniform. Yeah, and then they call her Takamura, and I'm like, right. oh, it's not Molly. Right, and she's a security person. It's like I'm not so sure I take that job if I love my daughter. I don't know, but anyway, it turns out handy that she's there. As we'll find out in the next issue. Well, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Let's go on the next issue. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, number 60 is this issue, and the title is Mother of Madness. Writer is Jan Michael Friedman. Penciler is Pablo Marcus. Colorist Rick Taylor. Letterer Bob Panaha. Editor Margaret Clark. The cover shows Riker leading an away team made up of Deanna, Troy, Dr. Crusher, and Jordy. They are in the center of the cover with phasers drawn. They are surrounded by oozing green sacks suspended from above that contain people. It's kind of like something out of Alien. Coming up behind them, out of sight to the away team, is a big green insectoid creature that probably trapped those other people in the green sacks. And the away team is next. Yellow text proclaims, trapped by madness. The issue opens with Riker and his away team materializing on the planet's surface, close to where the Chalnoth landing party came down. Riker and his team follow the Chalnoth team at a discreet distance. The assumption is the Chalnoth team is looking for their missing crew, and since the Federation ship Aquitaine also has their crew missing. They're figuring maybe if they find one missing crew, they'll find the other one. Meanwhile, high above in space, Picard is trying to persuade the Chalnoth battlecruiser's captain, Pathox, to be more cooperative rather than being a big, scary warrior alien. Pathox will hear none of it and orders Picard away with raw and rude aggression. Picard responds with stiff resolve, saying that they will go nowhere until they find the crew of the Aquitaine. The battle lines have been drawn. On the planet, the Chalnoth landing party is entering the mouth of a cave. Riker is happy because he thinks they may be getting to the bottom of where both missing crews are. Picard attempts to talk to Captain Pathox into a joint search effort for both missing crews goes nowhere. Pathox severs communication again. Data is using his superior hearing to lead the away team in almost pitch black tunnels until they come upon a large chamber that is partially lit by luminous mineral deposits. Phasers are out and set for stun when they see the Chalnoth team is standing before a huge green subterranean insectoid creature. Behind the creature are green sacks of ooze hanging from the ceiling and containing the missing Federation and Chalnoth ship crews. 
Riker and team watch silently and conjecture the first Chalnoth team probably came upon the cave and broke some of the creature's eggs since they can see large broken eggs on the floor. In anger it must have attacked, snared the Chalnoths and hung them up in the green sacks. The Federation team later came after discovering the empty Chalnoth ship. They too were ensnared by the creature. Troy senses in the creature positive emotions, not anger, pride, and remarkable contentedness. The female security officer and mother named Takamura is perplexed, given their theories so far, and asks how that could be. The second Chalnoff team splits forces. While three of them attack and draw the creature's attention, the other two run to their comrades and attempt to free them with their knives. The sacks are harder to cut into than expected, and the creature appears to be resistant to the disruptor fire. The two Chalnoths are captured and bagged. The remaining Chalnoth try to communicate with their captain for further orders, but find their communicators won't work in the cave. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, Worf attempts to contact the landing party and finds that they cannot. Apparently the Federation communications can't penetrate the cave any more than the Chalnoths. There is no way to warn the away team of the increasing tensions and likely attack from the Chalnoth battlecruiser. Right on cue, the Chalnoth battleship, Bludgeoner, fires on the Enterprise. Picard calls for evasive maneuvers. Pattern, Picard, Alpha. The superior maneuverability of the Enterprise and unimpressive weapons targeting capabilities of the bludgeoner keeps the Enterprise relatively safe. Picard states they could use their superior weaponry to take out the bludgeoner quickly, but decides instead to use targeted fire to begin taking out her disruptor banks. So far they are giving Riker and the away team the time they need to accomplish their mission. However, sensors are picking up four additional Chalnoth ships. The balance of power has definitely shifted. Back in the cave, Troy and the female security officer are discussing the unexpected feelings coming from the creature. When he cocooned the two Chalnoths, they expected feelings of fear or anger related to survival reflexes, but it was giving off feelings that it needed to protect someone. Oddly enough, probably the two Chalnoth. Their whispered conversation is apparently loud enough to catch the attention of one of the remaining Chalnoth, and he fires on Deanna's position. Takamura does her job and knocks Deanna out of the way of the disruptor beam. Riker's team fires, set the stun, and knocks out all but one of the Chalnoths. Riker and Giordi play good cop, bad cop to get the Chalnoth to talk. He falls for it and tells the team that the first team was surveying the planet for a new military base when they lost contact. That is all he knows. And so he tells Riker he will have to ask the cocoon Chalnoth to find out more. Riker thinks for a moment and says, you know, that's a good idea. Meanwhile, the Enterprise's battle with the five Chalnoth battle cruisers is not going well. Shields are down 65%, and they have damage on decks 21 and 22. Picard orders phasers to target their engines. They think they disabled one of the ships, but when their backs are turned to fire on the other ships, it is able to make a kamikaze run and strikes the Enterprise's shields. 
Wharf reports shields are down to 15%. Another attack like the last one, and they will have serious structural damage. Picard knows all the tricks in his kit won't be enough to disable all of them before the Enterprise herself is destroyed. Picard makes a log entry saying as much, and that soon he will be forced to withdraw without the away team. To be continued. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Again. I don't remember how many issues ago, but I do remember Picard being in a similar situation where we had to fight against big odds and eventually had to do something. So, this looks like the same kind of thing. Right. Yes! And Picard has all the right moves. Well, he does, but will that be enough against five opponents? I just thought it was funny that all his moves are Picard pattern Alpha, Picard pattern Delta, Picard pattern Theta. You know, it's just like... (laughs) Yeah, well, he's like a quarterback, man. They got the plays laid out ahead of time. It's like Riker. I mean, Riker does the same thing. I know, I know. Evasive maneuver, Riker, pattern delta. You know, whatever. Well, he should if you... be, ooh, get out of the way! <laughs> <laughs> well, well, really, you'd think that ship's this advanced, they'd be able to pre-program the ship just to do it themselves. You know, voice command. You know, right. execute that, boom. Or, I mean, like, I mean, if you're going to have people in charge, because people have to be in charge of everything which I don't necessarily agree with 100%, but whatever. That's the way things are in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. If you got to have people calling the shots and executing all the shots, then uh, you better do something to speed things up. Right. So do you think the guy actually has to do something, or he just says, presses a button, Picard, Alpha, <laughs> Picard, Beta? Um, I'm pretty sure that he has to execute, you know, like a, like, like a wide receiver... He's got to know what the play is and execute. So he has to know what Picard beta is versus exactly. Riker beta versus exactly. Zeta beta. Exactly. They they stay up late at night studying the plays. Come on. Oy. Hoo-wee. That's pretty Hoo-wee. big. It is. But, you know, hey, this is Starfleet, man. They're dedicated. I am so happy that Pablo Marcus is back doing the penciling. Really? I am. Um, you know, okay, so Daryl Skelton was doing the first two issues that we, sure. we did today. And I think we both had some some comments on his artistic style, which is very artistic and everything, which is fine. It's just not my preference. Even though Pablo does tend to draw people as really overly muscular, I like his style better. His style of drawing. Yeah. He does have some interesting angles and stuff. I, I do like how he does some of the, like on page, let's see what page it was. Seven, or no, nope, I lied. Page six, okay. when when it has like the the shot of like a, a low camera angle of Picard superimposed over the whole uh, space field with the two ships in it, and you know that's that's pretty neat little gimmick that you couldn't do in the actual movie or anything. Gimmick, gimmick, yeah, well, I do like that too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like his yeah. shoulders and stuff are drawn, and his com badge, but the rest right. of his body's transparent, kind of exactly, floating kind of ghostly, in the space. right, right. And look at his face in that nice detail. You know, I mean, is it is it a hundred percent Patrick Stewart? No, but it's good detail. It looks good. It isn't all washed out. It isn't all over pixelated for artistic whim. Sure. Um, I, 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 
my personal preference. I, I prefer this a lot more. Look at the ships. The look ships look really good. Ships do uh, look really good. So, but, but I gotta say, if I may, if I may make one comment, which <laughs> I must, the phasers look horrendous. It's like, come on, Pablo. I know you have drawn phasers before. Yeah, but he always draws them like this. No, oh, I, I have never seen phasers drawn this badly. Okay, so for those of you without the comic book, the phaser looks like it's just, uh, uh you know. Uh, a bunch of of rectangular gray boxes all glued together end to end. <laughs> I mean, it looks like they took a tricorder and they opened it up so far that it broke the hinge so that it's more or less, you know, it's open but straight open. And it's like, ah, I'm sorry. What What's the deal, man? I, I, I'm upset. I mean, there, there, there's no beam emitter on the front. There's a little black beam emitter on the front. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's odd looking. Yeah, it's it's not like they haven't established what phasers look like a long time ago. Right, right. I I, I like the look of the well most angles, uh, especially on that two page spread where they've got the Chalnoth battle cruisers, the four of them coming right. on the you yeah. know right at the Enterprise. I think the Chalnoth cruisers look cool, if kind of unconventional. And I think the Enterprise looks really cool. And I don't know what that lightning-y kind of big yellow thing is that they right. got in there, but I think it looks cool. And there's a lot of moons above that planet. Oh, good point. Yeah, so this is all on page One, two, uh, three, 18 and 19. Five, six. Seven moons that are in, in frame. Exactly. Seven. Seven. Now, in yeah, all no, fairness... It's a cool-looking picture. In all fairness, you know, you know Saturn and... Jupiter, they got a lot of moons. But yeah, they got a lot of them. And they're all such interesting gumball uh, colors. <laughs> Bright yellow and orangey red and... Ah, yeah. Looks delicious. Looks like uh, some, some tricks got spilled into the sky. Could be. Could be. I did like the Chownoth ship since you did mention it. Uh, you said it looked unconventional. It, to me, looks like the Galaxy Quest ship. Do you remember how it looked? Oh, I remember how it looks, but, but it's kind of its nacelles kind of <laughs> yeah. pointed out like that, and its nose was kind of yeah. at an yeah. angle like that. But this thing's like a beak. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's sharper than the Galaxy. Yeah. What, what was the Galaxy Quest ship called? The Protector, wasn't it? Protector, yeah. And and it had a much more conventional look than this, but I do see I do see your comparison. Yeah, I didn't say it looked exactly like it. That's just yeah, yeah, kind of looked like. Right, but it's it's so it's a unique design, and it's very it's like under undersea animal or something because it's just very curvy and stuff. It doesn't, you know, it seems more appropriate under the water than it does uh, in space. But I guess that's just their style, yeah, Chalnoth style. That's that's how they roll. Okay, what's the deal with this with this big bug? It's it's protecting people <laughs> by cocooning them. I don't know, or it's. I, I was thinking that maybe it was actually going to do some sort of alien thing, and that well, they're yeah. impregnated with something. <laughs> exactly. It, right, but know. that's not what they, that's not what they're pointing us towards. No, and it points to that it feels happy that it's doing. It's doing them a favor by putting them in that green stuff. Yeah, and it feels real good about it. <laughs> and it's like, 
Which I find wow. funny. How would Troy know <clears throat> what animals feel like? So, I mean, do animals have feelings? Like, well, the, the bear that, that kills the little whatever bears kill to eat, it feels <laughs> happy about it or it feels remorse that, oh, I feel bad that I just had to kill that. Well, it just seems weird. I, th- I think anybody who has owned a dog, oh, maybe a cat, I don't know, I don't know cats too well, would say that dogs do have emotions. Now, you know, and they and they kind of appear to be something akin to what people feel, but who knows? Trying to interpret things into an animal, but you know, they they do seem to be really happy at times, and they do seem to be sad at times. And they do seem to feel guilt, especially when you catch them in the middle of something they know they're not supposed to do. I don't know. Right. No. Nope. But I, I'd have. A, I mean, this thing's like an insect, although I, it kind of looks like it has fur. It's weird. And claws, yeah. So it's it's. Unique looking. Yeah, yeah. It's got four arms and four hand claw-y kind of things. Hmm. Anyway, it's big, and apparently you can shoot it a lot, and it doesn't go down. Yeah, they show at least three wounds from disruptor fire, and they actually talk about it. They refer to it. But these Chalnos, I mean, come on, there's a bunch of them. I mean, they, they should be cutting this thing up like, uh, you know, like King Kong at the end of the movie. You know? Yeah, but they don't want to destroy them. Wait a minute, you're saying that the the Chalnoth should be cutting up the Enterprise? Wait, huh? what? No, no, I'm talking about the creature. Oh, you're talking about the bug, bug. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I I haven't stopped talking about the bug. So yeah, so so the bug's got like three wounds in it from disruptor fire. So you know it can be old, wounded, but old wounds. Well, but they say it was old wounds from the first team probably firing at it. The first shell not team. They don't know. We have to find well, out. They're next conjecturing. Week. They're conjecturing a lot of things. It's just that come on, you got you got like at least three Chalnoth guys that are firing at this thing. I mean, wouldn't you think disruptor fire would, you know, start to slow this thing down? I don't know. Whatever. Right. Yep. It's 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 a pretty nasty creature. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I, I I like I like this one so far. I kind of like it. Although uh, the payoff had better not be weak. I think the payoff is that Picard and the uh, creature have to have a one-on-one fight. It's called Trial by Combat. Ah, good point. Because that's, that's a plot device that no matter how many times they use it, it's always fresh and exciting. Uh, especially in the same story arc. <laughs> well, he did it 16 years ago. Story. Oh, no, that was the story arc. That was this one. <laughs> so it might have been 16 years ago, but let's dredge it up again. Oh, I, I, you know, that was last issue, but I hated that part. Yeah, me too. Why does it's everything like, have to be trial by fire? Trial it, by combat? Yeah, yeah. It, not only does it make no fr- um, sorry. Not only does it make no sense. Like it should actually prove anything about who's lying or not lying and all that kind of stuff. Why would you put yourself into that position? Especially these guys are huge. Yeah. These chalnoths. I mean, they could break you like a twig, snap so. you like a snap you like a stick. I don't know. I think that it's going to come back. There's going to be some trial by combat again. Just mark my words. Well, we definitely have a trial by combat with uh, Picard and the Enterprise. Yeah. Against five of those Chalnovs. Talk about ganging up on people. Yeah. On another subject, if you're done with the creature. I'm done with the creature. You can talk about other things now. They're on page three on the view screen when the Chalnov captain is screaming, You anger me, Picard! 
Yeah, he looks really unhappy. <laughs> when I was reading this, uh, I was reading it in bed, and and my son came up. He's he's what six, mm-hmm. and he saw that. And at first, I was like, "Well, how is he going to take?" Because he does look monstrous. He looks yeah. like a little monster. Right. But my son just thought that was the funniest picture ever. <laughs> look at him, <laughs> and he's like mimicking his arm movements. <laughs> it does look a little comical. A little. Uh, what is it? The big eyes all bulging out. The big Marty Feldman eyes is what's doing it for, <laughs> for your son. Hmm. I guess so. He he thought it was quite humorous. Yeah. Well, that's all I have to say about this one, which really is not that much. Yeah. Same. Uh, the only other comment I had, I was didn't really know if it was worth mentioning, but if you don't have any more, I don't. The on the last page, like the third panel to the end, where the Enterprise is getting hit by something right right where the deflector shield or whatever it should be. Um did it hit a did it get hit by a phaser fire or did it crash into something? No, I think that was one of the Chalnaw ships did a uh, kamikaze run on it. So that's what I thought too. But all he says is damn, I thought we buried that one. Right. Yeah. So he he disab- he thought he disabled one of them at the top of the page. And then he turns to fight the other guys, but then the one he thought he disabled ends up doing a kamikaze run. At least that's how I interpret it. Right. And that's why the shields were so affected. I mean, it went from what? It went from 65% shields or something like that down to 15. I forgot yeah, something 15. like that. Right. Yeah, maybe. And now that I'm looking at it bigger, I kind of zoomed in a little bit on the on the DVD. Right. It does look like there's some sort of debris there, um, not just an explosion. So. Right. I mean, it almost yeah. looked like one of the wing quote wings of the Chalnoth vessel, but I don't know. Crashed into it. Right. Ran over it. <laughs> yes. Maybe it was able to move itself far enough to get in the way of the Enterprise. The Enterprise bumped into it. I don't know. Right. All right. So is that it? That's all I got to say, man. All right. All I got so. to say, except that I'm looking forward to the thrill-packed conclusion. Oh, you're going to have to wait. That's okay. I'm getting used to it. <laughs> All right, so next episode, uh, we'll do Deep Space Nine. Let me make sure. Yeah, Deep Space Nine, 13 through 15. Okay. All right, and uh, so before we let everybody go, we'll do the Expanded Universe, and these are the last six episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation that we'll be talking about. These are the final voyages. All right, so the first one came out in November. uh, The first one came out in April April called Firstborn. This is where Alexander starts to become a warrior, Hmm. Um, you know, right before his huge growth spurt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because here he's still little Alexander and the next time we will see him it'll be Deep Space Nine and he's like a 15, 16 year old yeah so uh, but anyways in this one he starts to become a warrior and he gets help from future Alexander so this one's actually a pretty good episode cool I don't remember much about it Ah. Uh. Now, how did he get help from Future Alexander? Was that a holodeck uh, Future Alexander? I mean, how time travel? Future Alexander came from the future to help young Alexander. <sighs> really? Really? 
Because at first he did he slingshot the... around the moon. Did he go and see? I don't, I don't the remember how. It, I don't remember Guardians of Forever. No, I don't remember how he gets there. Because okay. I, I think at first he just says he's a friend of Alexander, and then coming to find out, no, he actually is Alexander from the future. <laughs> okay. Okay. At least I hope that's that's the case. I hate that I'm totally making all this up, but if I remember <laughs> right, I think that's how it went down. <clears throat> all right. I, next up, I don't remember it. Next up was Bloodlines, and this is the one where Picard is led to believe that he has a son, uh, like a 15, 16 year old son that he never knew about. Right. And then uh, Ferengi uh, Damon wants to kill his son because Picard killed his son so many years ago. So mm-hmm. um, I think at the end you find out that he he's not. Picard's son. No. He's just some poor little homeless kid that we'll never see anything from again. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Alright, next up is Emergence. This is a Holodeck Gone Awry episode, if I remember right. And does, is it about the Enterprise going to have a baby? Something? Well, the one-sentence description of the episode says the Enterprise becomes an emergent intelligence. Uh, okay. What? Does that mean it's going to have a baby? <laughs> or, or or it is becoming sentient. I mean, what are they trying to say? I don't know, but if it does become sentient... Okay, the well, Enterprise shows so signs it is developing an artificial intelligence. And it manifests itself in the holodeck is that what it is so they're like interacting with different aspects of the enterprise itself through the holodeck i i I do remember that one yeah um i i'd have to read more about this but because it goes from the one sentence description into a 11 paragraph description (laughs) i mean all the details are here man all right that's all right uh, okay, so with all systems now restored, Data and Picard discuss the incident and speculate about the entity that has been born from the Enterprise. So what you first said. So it doesn't have a baby. It just ha- creates an entity. I guess so. Picard he can... states he believes the new life form will be benign since its psyche arose not from the ship systems but from the crew's personal journals, mission logs, and other sources believing that the crew's experience on the Enterprise have been honorable? Okay. Okay, that sounds like a great one. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. don't know. All right, moving along. Preemptive Strike. This is uh, the uh, penultimate episode. There you go. Uh, and this is Hitson <clears throat> Rose's final episode. Yep, and this sounds like an interesting one because it yeah. sets up the Maquis. Yeah, which I think they've alluded to in the past, but this mm-hmm. might be where they actually really go into it. Right. But, uh, well, yeah. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether this is the first time they introduced the Maquis, but apparently, it, at least in this episode, it's, it's a very central thing within this, uh, right. this episode. Right, and as everybody knows, the Maquis will play a big part in both Deep Space Nine and especially Voyager. Yes. For the next seven years. <laughs> right. 
the combined Federation and Maquis crew. All right, and then last but not least, all good things. The excellent topper to the series. Right. This is a great book end to the series. I thought they did such a great job making the first episode and the last episode fit together so well. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they have scenes that should have been in the first episode but weren't. You know, it's like, oh, this could have been filmed way back then with Yar and stuff, and right. we just didn't see it. Right. Um, I thought I thought it was they did a great job. Yep. My only problem with this episode is that it starts off out of the blue. Worf and Deanna are in a relationship, which that just seemed out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he had that one vision of him in another universe where they were married, but that was. That was, I think, all they ever talked about. And then suddenly, in this episode, they're in the holodeck, beach, and all that stuff. Right. I thought it was a little rushed. Yeah. And then we never hear about it again. Ever. Well, one part I like about it is when Q takes Picard back into Earth's far distant past, billions of years in the past, where life, the moment where life first began... And he's got Picard there, and he goes, Oop! It it didn't happen. It's like, ah, ha ha! You, you, you rascalian, you. Anyway, I thought that was kind of yeah. kind of an interesting point. No, that was good. And I like the whole Picard thought he was going crazy. Yeah. You know, then nobody in the future believed that he was really time traveling and all that stuff. I I really I, liked that. Yeah the interaction with him as a crazy old man and the crew as they've gone on to do different things right. and how they, they still respect him but they, they kind of think he's a little crazy. Exactly. It's like, hey, we love you, but yeah, you, you, know, you lost it, man. Yeah, I thought so, that was done well, too. Yeah. Because yeah. that is how you are when you're a parent or somebody you love you know, Gets has that years. kind of condition. You don't want to call them a liar just to tell them that they're crazy but because they believe it so so you know so strongly right but, so you kind of humor them and I think that's that's what I got out of that episode that they were just kind of like alright we'll, we'll go with you right but at yeah. least they, they had enough respect for him that he did it right so and good thing they did because if they didn't would have turned out bad big problems big problems there so this one was written by Banyan Braga and Ronald D. Moore. Ronald D. Moore. Yep. So uh, Ronald D. Moore is, was helmed the Battlestar Galactica reboot. I thought that's what I thought that's where I'd heard that name. Right. And then Banyan Braga, of course, you know, one of the writers of Generations, and sure. I think he was one of the showrunners on uh, that Jurassic Park. What is it? Terra Nova. That's it. That oh, that's series. right. That's right. Yeah. That lasted a long time. <laughs> I, I kind of liked that show. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I, I liked it. I'm, I'm sorry it didn't go further. I heard good things about it. I just never watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it's worth a look, but now that it stopped in its tracks, maybe not so much. I think Banyan Braga had something to do with Flash Forward also. Another long-running series. Um, Flash Forward. Yeah. It was that it was long lasting, or you were being sarcastic? I was being very sarcastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was one season, also. 
Yeah, so that's the one where the action opens, where basically people don't know what the heck's going on, but basically their whole life flashed forward by, oh, that's I right. don't know, like a minute or something. Right, right. I do remember that being yeah. advertised, but I never and, did watch it. Yeah, and that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. I mean, the concept of that, you know, you're what would happen if you're in the middle of doing something, all of a sudden you lose consciousness and you've been moved forward five minutes. You're driving down the road and things move ahead, you know, a minute or whatever it is. You know, your car's crashed, you're bleeding. It's like, what the heck happened? You know, so I thought it was an interesting concept. And you watched it? Uh, I saw the first episode. And then I saw a few episodes as it went along, and, well, you're never going to watch it, I assume, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, the main point is, somebody figured out how to do time travel. However, instead of it being a localized effect, it affected the entire Earth, which I thought, ooh, oh, oh, ooh, yeah, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? So, so. Which I, you know, you you always think about time travel as being, you know, just affecting the guy who's sitting inside the, you know, the weird-looking sleigh-like device with the big round dish in the back. <laughs> and, uh, but not so in this story. So, it affects the whole planet. Very uh, interesting. That is an interesting take on it. Yeah, yeah. I don't see what going five minutes in the future is going to help you, but... Well, yeah, I, yeah. Now, if it was going 32 seconds into the past, you know, maybe just enough time to correct one mistake, that <laughs> I can see value in. Well, yeah, but uh, I I'm never I never saw it where they – pardon me? I was just throwing out a Galaxy Quest reference. Oh, a Galaxy Quest reference. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know that they ever said in the show, or maybe I just never saw the episode, but – the, I think this was just experiments, so people had oh, okay. they weren't con- they weren't in perfect control of it yet. Okay. And who knows? Maybe they could o- only go forward. Yawn. But I want to go back. Anyway. All right. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, then we will let everybody go, and uh, we'll be back next week with some Deep Space Nine. Excellent Deep Space Nine action. All right. Take care, everybody. Later, everybody. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here